Welcome to EdSource Radio, where we talk about the latest developments in California education. I'm Lewis Friedberg, Executive Director of EdSource with Editor-at-Large John Fensterwald. We're also joined by Jane Adams, our student wellness reporter, is going to be talking about vaccination rates and suspension rates. And also pleased to have Larry Gordon, who's up from Los Angeles, and we'll be talking about the Student Success Initiative at the California Community Colleges. Jane, let's start with you. The new vaccination rates, and this is for kids in kindergarten who are expected to have certain vaccinations. That's right. And this, this is, has been a huge controversy in California. So so bring us up to speed on what's happening. Big news this week. So it's been long awaited, this data released from the California Department of Public Health. Students who attend school in California must be immunized against 10 serious communicable diseases. For many years, there's been a condition called a personal belief exemption where parents could opt out. They say, I don't believe in vaccinations. I'm not going to do it, and the children could go to school unvaccinated. Well, the Disneyland outbreak of measles changed all that or brought it into high relief that people actually die from communicable diseases, not in the numbers they used to, but it's a it's a real Black measles. I mean, issue. people die from... Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Mostly the people who die are older people who have reduced immunity and babies or immunocompromised individuals, somebody who's getting a drug treatment for... Uh, cancer. So California then passed a law saying that eliminating the personal exemption? That's exactly what happened. It was known as Senate Bill 277, and it was very contentious, but it made it through the legislature. And uh, when, when was that? That was two years ago. It went into effect, though, this July. Okay, so these are the first figures then? These are the first figures. Okay, and then. so what does it, did it As expected, impact? the vaccination rates went up. These are the highest rates California has ever recorded since it started recording vaccination rates for these 10 diseases. And the rate overall was 95.6% of students are fully vaccinated against those 10 diseases, which include things like polio and measles. And was that across the board in the whole state, or do we see differences? Well, this has always been the issue with vaccinations in that there are pockets of unvaccinated children and adults for that matter. So even with these high numbers, there are nine out of California's 58 counties in which the vaccination rate is below 90%. You know, in a community, you want to have at least 90% of people immunized. It creates what's called herd immunity. There are nine counties where that's not the case. So that's still a concern, but it's a work in progress. Okay, so this is an example of a successful law. I mean, it had the the results it was supposed to have. It did. Public schools have long been agents of public health. And so it was unusual that they allowed these exemptions to begin with, and now they're gone and more kids are immunized. And so is this now, does this take care of the problem? Obviously not, right? There's some school districts where there's still it a ways to go. It should take care of it over time. What uh, The only options for parents who don't want to immunize their children, well, of course, nobody's required to immunize their children. Let me just be clear on that. But if you want to send them to school, you have to immunize them or to a child care center. If you want to homeschool them, that's fine. If you want to have independent study. And in some districts, as not doesn't seem to be universally interpreted, if you have... Special education services, you may not need to be immunized either. So, Jane, that's good news that uh, immunization rates went up, but another rate went down, and that was suspension rates. I wonder if you could talk about that. That's also the direction those rates are supposed to be going in the state of California. So, 
This week, EdSource did an analysis of data that's newly available on the field test version of the California School Dashboard. That's a graphic representation of this new accountability system. So instead of just looking at test scores, we're looking at everything or many things, including suspension rates. And what the state did was create a formula, very complicated. You know better than I, John, just how complicated it is, it is that looks at the suspension rates, in this case, looking at 2014-15, and also looking at whether rates in the district went down or went up from 13-14 to 14-15. So it's a combination of those two pieces of data, and the state then decides whether to give you its blessing as a district that your rate is on target for coming down, which is what they want. And now, is this on this new dashboard with all those colored charts? Is, is that is that what we're looking at? That's what we're looking at. Mm-hmm. And more than 45% of school districts in California received either a green rating or a blue rating. And those are the top two. You don't want to get a red. You're in deep trouble. So those who follow this issue, what do they attribute that change to? There has been a concerted push to lower suspension rates. There's a lot of research that so-called zero-tolerance policies have gone too far, and they are ineffective. They don't improve yeah, students. By zero-tolerance, you mean any behavior, you pretty much crack down on the kid and out suspend. Right. Initially, zero-tolerance was meant to apply to serious offenses, such as you bring a gun to school, you're out, or a knife. Uh, but it became more broadly interpreted and anyone who is acting up or difficult or disruptive. The problem was that these offenses were subject to interpretation. So they were not uniformly applied. So some kids wearing a baseball hat would get thrown out. Other kids would just be asked to have their hat taken out. There were changes in programs too. Schools have adopted programs that encourage positive behavior, right? And that's been important. Exactly right. There's been a lot of investment in those programs actually. Uh, Positive behavioral interventions and support. One method is called. The idea is that kids are acting out, there's something going on. And instead of throwing the kid out of the school, although consequences are warranted, why not find out what's going on, give the kid a chance to make amends, just be more interactive. Because once the kid's out of school, the outcomes are not good. They're more likely to be expelled or drop out. And then from there, more likely to be involved in the justice system. But Jane, do we know that the schools where suspension rates have gone down, that that things are actually better at that school in terms of school climate. I mean, do we know that these kids who might otherwise have been suspended have been given support services to work through the behaviors? Because there's pressure on school districts not to suspend. Right. So we don't know exactly what is going on in classrooms. It seems to really vary by the commitment of the staff and the training and the amount of money they have. So I I know there are teachers. I spoke with a former principal in Fresno, and he said he thought things were not going well in the classrooms he was in in middle school. Their kids were playing loud music and so on. And then I spoke with another person who said there are always classrooms where some teachers are never referring kids to the office. Why is that? Those teachers have figured out a way to connect with these kids. So the next data will be out this fall, and we'll have another year, right, to see what changes. That's right. That'll be the data that schools are going to be held to account for. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the rates. Great. Well, we'll we'll look forward to covering that as well. 
Thanks, Jane. Thanks. Well, it, just, it looks like this policy that the state has adopted to reduce suspension rates is actually working. It's certainly bringing the rates down. And in some schools, they've fully embraced it. And it seems like kids are doing better. Uh, it's hard to know overall how it's going, but that would be the goal. Well, thanks, Jane. Uh, that was Jane Adams, our student wellness reporter. John, I just want to ask you about another set of rates. We've got to try to make this interesting. Of course, we're, right. on, we're on we're on a bunch of statistics here, but these statistics actually reflect what's going on in the schools. Yes. The state this week came out with the latest graduation rates, high school graduation rates. So, what what do we know? Well, there's good news there too, Lewis. The uh, rate, the graduation rate, is up to eighty three point two percent. That's up nearly one percentage point, which in this measure is significant. And it's uh, about nine percentage points above 2010, when it was 74.7 percent. That, that's that's a good amount of change and, and, in that and, short time. And the, the, when we say graduation rate, we mean the students who started in the ninth grade. They're actually able to track it now. Individual yes. kids. This uh, is not estimates. Number of kids in ninth grade who actually graduated. Yeah, that four-year cohort it's called, and that's what this rate now measures. It's uniform across the nation. Okay, so now we got the rate for the whole state. California yes. is a huge state. What about some of the subgroups and, and differences in districts? I, mean, I assume there's just huge variations yeah. in districts. Well, particularly there's, there's been a big disparity among ethnic and racial groups. That's not news, and it's still there. It's beginning to close in some subgroups. For example, Asian students graduate around 93%, and African Americans are 20 percentage points below that, 73%. Wow, 20, 20 point difference there. It's that. significant. It's narrowing a little bit, and the African American rate has is, is increased. And there are variations in districts as well. Uh, Los Angeles Unified, the state's largest district, reported that it its uh, rate increased five percentage points to 77%. And that's uh, for African Americans there, it's up 6%. So that, as reported, is significant. But still a ways to go. I mean, you're looking at, at almost 30%. Three out of 10 st African American students and let, uh, are not graduating on time. That's they might right. graduate later. Yeah, not, but not much. Yeah. Not much? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's still, still unacceptably high. Right. And, and what about Latino students, who, of course, are the biggest minority group in, That's right. in the California schools? That's now and 80... are actually majority in many schools in many parts of the state. Correct. It's now 80%. 80% graduation rate. So yes. that's substantially higher than the African-American graduation rate, about eight points, percentage points. Yeah, but still lower almost than near the state average. So, John, what do you attribute these overall increases in graduation rates to? Are schools actually doing something to, that's making a difference? Yeah, it could be. For One thing is they're not doing is the state ended the high school exit exam two years ago. So that is a factor which is leading to more student diplomas. The students don't have to take this exit exam as they did for about a decade. Suspending fewer kids too, that might also play into Absolutely. It. Very significant. Uh, mm -hmm. Significant drop in the... In the uh, suspension expulsion rates in California and so students who are in class are more likely to graduate for sure. LA Unified says it's making a concentrated effort starting in middle school to track every student with a so-called dashboard so that they know where the, whether they're on track to graduate on time. So what's sort of next? I mean what needs to be done? Obviously movement in the right direction but still substantial gaps. Yeah, it's true, but let me, let's phrase it a little differently. In the year 2017, simply graduating from high school is a bare minimum. 
What the state is also going to be introducing now is a new, another part of that dashboard, which is the career and college readiness indicator, which is, which is a more substantial way of looking where students are when they're ready to graduate. And I think there's going to be more emphasis on that. Are you prepared for college? Are you ready to go to take a trade or the army? Are you prepared to do that? And I think that's where the focus is going to shift as well as increasing graduation rates. Well, John, thanks for that update and actually a perfect segue to Larry Gordon, who's up here from Los Angeles. Larry is our higher education reporter, longtime reporter with the Los Angeles Times. Larry, you looked at the Student Success Initiative, which actually was supposed to help students once they graduated from high school. There's been an appallingly low completion rate for students, particularly those who went into community colleges. And there has been a big push to provide a range of services to those students. Uh, what did you find when you looked into this? Well, I found now that we're almost at the fifth year anniversary of the passage of this law, that on the, the big picture, not much has changed. In fact, the, the, the completion rate of students who entered community colleges um, six years after their entry is actually a tiny bit lower than it was at the time of the passage of the bill. And at the time, they described that as appalling, uh, which it means that even now that less than half of all the students who enter community colleges get an AA transfer or even get a certificate in some vocational trade. So, you know, on the service... Well, that's, that's, that's kind of discouraging, isn't it? It is discouraging the picture, but the people who at the colleges say they are seeing early signs of improvement. They say that, you know, a lot of this measurement began before the money began to flow, before the new orientations were put in, before the extra counselors were hired. So they said, actually, we have to wait a few years to see what happens. Um, the bill has, you know, there has been a huge amount of money spent, eight, over $800 million spent in hiring thousands of counselors, orientation officers, um, and, and even statisticians. You know, one of the, the parts of this bill that's so interesting is that it requires the community college to be transparent and let the world know what their rates are. So I think just even letting people know what it is, you know, is a good influence. But just to clarify, there was a law that the legislature passed, it was I think it was 2012, the Student Success Act. That's right. That was based on the Student Success Task Force that came up with multiple recommendations. Right. Not all of the recommendations went into effect, right? Right. What were some of the things that some this law mandated? It mandated some responsibility for the colleges and upon the students also. At the colleges, it required them to um, put much more uh, emphasis on counseling, on orientation, on establishing uniform placement exams across the state, and scheduling classes that are you know, better needs for the students. But it also threw some things out to the students themselves that you could not, if you were a low-income student, you couldn't go forever and get D's. You know, you had to at least now, you know, get a C uh, GPA to keep getting the governor's waiver, basically, you know, free tuition. Mm -hmm. I mean, also uh, made them declare a course of study by the third semester. They couldn't just be randomly taking classes left and right. Mm -hmm. So it required a little bit of responsibility on each side. Now, that all these all sound like great ideas, but isn't one of the problems that we have 113 community colleges, they're all actually run by their own boards of trustees, and it's hard to implement an, a policy like that across the board. It's absolutely hard, and it's really uneven. You know, there's some, some districts are having much better success, you know, some aren't. Some have had a huge tradition of transfer, like 
Santa Monica College in, in the L.A. area, you know, has always had a great uh, pathways program into UCLA and other, other UCs and CSUs. So, so, you know, they've always had a, a good transfer. Other ones are just kind of figuring their way out. You know, I think that, um, you know, some of the schools now are finally, though, paying attention to it and being embarrassed at having, you know, really low rates publicly declared. And, and particularly in metropolitan areas where students can vote by their feet or vote by their cars, you know, that they, they choose going to the schools now that have better rates. Now, now we, there's a new chancellor of the community colleges who you talk to. Right, Eloy Oakley. And what does he say about this? Because he was a big proponent yeah, of this and yeah. had a lot of success. He was a, the president of Long Beach City College. That's right. Uh, the new Chancellor, Chancellor Oakley, is a huge proponent of this and, and, you know, had put some of these things into place in Long Beach. You know, he, he he's both been a little bit defensive about this, saying that it's too early, but at the same time, in the past couple of weeks, he's been saying, yeah, we have got to work harder to make this, you know, to happen. Um, and interesting enough, he and Jerry Brown are now partnering on what is considered the next step, these so-called guided pathways that are actually another $150 million in, in, in Brown's current budget to make these pathways that are really specific and really ironclad for students to, you know, take a major and get an AA. I mean, the downside is that, you know, the students are not going to have as much freedom to, you know, d- dip into things and go here and there. But I guess, under you know, under the... Um, the philosophy of this is that if taking too many electives, kids just don't get through in time. And under a limited budget and limited financial aid, the pressure at community colleges and CSU and UC is get them through as fast as they can. And just to clarify, there was some good news. Didn't the last figures, the completion rates, they actually inched up? No, they did. Bit. They did inch up. In fact, you know, this is the, the, it, it's actually getting close to where it was. I mean, it, it's now at, you know, 480 you know, and it was as low as, you know, 47.5 a few years before And that's that. the completion rates. The completion rate. This includes, you know, it includes people who come prepared, collegiate-ready students, and kids who need remedial classes. So it's a whole huge conglomerate, of course, you know, which hides immense disparities among populations, ethnic groups, you know, even colleges and, and prepared. But, you know, the needle has started to move a little bit. Again, though, it's still below 50%. And, and um, you know, to some people who who uh, don't know about what that's like, it can be really shocking as but a raw number. Is there a difficulty, Larry, in terms of, as you mentioned, 113 different colleges? I'm sure the rates vary tremendously among those colleges. They, they, uh, they very much so vary. And again, it has to do with the traditions. You know, some schools have had not a great tradition of transferring. Um, other schools have had fabulous traditions of that. And, um, you know, and some of it has to do with their population, too. Some of the populations are going to community colleges just to dip in, and they're not necessarily interested in getting an AA or even getting a vocational certificate. And for those students who actually come prepared, you don't have to take remedial courses, developmental courses, the rates are much higher. It's they're much higher. 70% plus. So, yeah. so this is everybody, right. including but the, students who really need remedial work, part-time students. So but the on. problem is that huge amounts of California kids need remediation in English, math, or both. And, and um, you know, that's the population. One of the good, uh, happy statistics hidden inside of this is that the completion rate of the remedial courses showing that students have completed their remedial courses and then have been able to pass a college-level class, which is proof that they've mastered it, is going up pretty well, too. Well, are you going to be looking 
more deeply at this uh, yeah, and, and so. some of the innovations that are supposed to be in place across the state. That wraps it up for this week. John and Larry and Jane. I'm Lewis Friedberg. For more information on these topics, go to our website at edsource.org. Thanks for listening and see you next week.